One of my best friends got murdered when I was 14, right in front of me. And sometimes I have them dreams, but different reenactments happen in them. You know, uh, sometimes I picture myself and then I feel like I got shot or something, and then, but I see it on blood, but I'm like trying to like run. Jumping over fences and 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 crawling through bushes. I don't even know what I'm running from. Welcome to Words and Pictures, the show about the narrative arts. I'm your host, SW Conser. And today we're spotlighting a new documentary that was envisioned and arranged by the experimental filmmaker Bushra Azuz. It's called A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison. And carrying on the legacy of Bushra Azuz and this film, which was shot at the Two Rivers Correctional Institution near Umatilla, Oregon, are Ellen Thomas, Enya Weisberg, and Johnny Stallings. Ellen is the post-production producer for A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison, as well as the past education director of the Northwest Film Center. Enye is the post-production director for the documentary and associate professor in film and video at Pacific University. And Johnny is an actor and theater director, as well as executive director of the nonprofit organization, The Open Road. Ellen, Enya, and Johnny, welcome to Words and Pictures. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for having us. Ellen, let's start with you. What can you tell us about Bushra Azuz? I know she was an Iraqi-born experimental filmmaker working here yes. in Portland. Yes. Bushra was born in 1955 in Iraq into a very well-educated family. Due to the political situation in the Middle East, she actually grew up in Beirut. And as a teenager, had aspirations to work in the arts, which was highly encouraged by her parents. And she came to Reed College here in Portland. So that's what brought her to the U.S. And after Reed, having fallen in love with Portland, as we all do, she decided she wanted to stay. And she met a group of artists who were involved in the film and performing arts community here in Portland and got the film bug, as many of us have, and uh, went to San Francisco State and got a degree in film, came back to Portland, and I met her right after she had come back to Portland in 1989. And at the time, I really was looking for non-white, non-male faculty members. It was a time where we needed to expand the number of instructional voices. And um, I met Bushra, and I hired her practically on the spot. It just seemed to me that she had everything you need to be a great teacher. She just hadn't done it yet. So she came onto the faculty and was an instant hit with students. And this is at the uh, Northwest Film Center's School of Film. Yes. Johnny, tell us about your relationship with Bushra Azuz, how you, the theater director, collaborated with the director of the documentary that uh, we're talking about. I met Bushra about the same time Ellen did in the late 80s. And uh, we were just friends, close friends. And uh, Bushra died in the spring of 2019. 
And uh, before she did, she assembled the team to finish the film that she had been working on since 2010. And uh, that story briefly is that I was planning to direct a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream at Two Rivers Prison. And uh, Bushra and I were talking about it. And she asked me if I had any plans to record the performance. And I said, I hadn't thought about it. And uh, she thought about it a little bit and decided that she would like to actually make a feature documentary of the play. And uh, so we got permission from the Oregon Department of Corrections. And she brought a film crew in eight times to the prison, like all day sessions, and recorded rehearsals, performances. She interviewed each of the actors, and she also recorded these uh, three hour long dialogues that we had. And that was the basis of what she had to work with to make the film. Now, I'm wondering what prompted you to take on this project. I mean, when you're doing your typical theater directing in Portland with experienced actors and crew members, that's got to be challenging enough. Uh, <laughs> working with inmates on the other side of the state, that seems like a whole different level. Yeah. Well, uh, I kind of stumbled into it by chance. I, I did a performance at that prison and the inmates invited me back. I should say the adults in corrections, uh, the, the prison residents, I think is the best term. Uh, they invited me back to perform again. I did that a few times. And then I started a dialogue group that had nothing to do with theater. It was a meaning of life dialogue uh, 12 or 16 people sitting in a circle talking about all the big things of life, our, our journey, our life journey. After two years of doing the dialogue every week out there, one of the men in the circle who was serving a life sentence uh, asked me if I'd be interested in doing a play with them. And I said, I don't know, do you want to do a play? And they all went, yeah. <laughs> so uh, in 2008, I directed a production of Hamlet out there, and that was the first time that people in an Oregon prison had performed a play by Shakespeare. And two years later, we did Midsummer Night's Dream. I did a total of maybe six Shakespeare plays out there. One thing I didn't expect was how professional the production looked, uh, the choreography and music were really solid. Uh, the costumes were impressive. Uh, there's a great donkey's head for the bottom character in A Midsummer Night's Dream. There's a full body rock wall costume for another character. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nancy Scharbach, my partner, uh, was in charge of the costuming. She made the donkey head and the fantastic uh, wall costume. He looks, he, the guy is six feet 11 and he looks like a superhero in that costume. Um, he's even taller with a hat. Uh, we got the costumes mostly from Portland Opera. Uh, the head costumer there, Francis Britt, allowed us to use costumes from their costume warehouse. And the music was, original music was composed by David Gilmore, who's a concert level pianist who's serving time at Two Rivers. 
Wow. Now, is that the fellow who is working with the uh, the chaplain? Yes, he did. You know, he's a musician and he's stuck in prison. And one of the outlets is to play for the uh, religious services. Um, Enya, in large part, you took over directing duties after the death of Bushra. This was really after the footage was in the can, so to speak. So Bushra brought Ellen and I together on um, May 29th, 2019, a few weeks before she passed away. And she asked that we complete the film on her behalf. Um, so I would say it's more of a collaboration with Bushra. I didn't take over. I it, we both share the post-production director uh, title. Um, I was honored and moved by, by by the trust placed on me and on us. I have worked in the film for the last three years. My focus this whole time was twofold. A focus on Bushra's vision and also a focus on the trust she placed in me and that trust that I would make decisions and share her vision in the heart of the story, that I would make decisions in a similar vision with a, a similar intent. And I carried this through the whole process with me, most of the time having, quote, conversations with Bushra in my mind, you know, that carried me through it to the end of the film. Yes. Um, one of the hardest things to do in a documentary is create a strong narrative structure, you know, bring out the stories of the individual subjects. This must have been doubly difficult when you're filming within an institution like a prison. Um. So, you know, I was not, as you say, part of the filming process. And it's really interesting because in a way, in the film world, this is almost a plus for the story because film is an organic process and there's a story that you film and the intent that you go with when you're filming the project. And then there are the transformations as you edit and shape it. I think that what we got was a richness of images and voices. Bushra shared with us the vision for structure of the film, and we follow that up to a certain point, but a lot of that is there. Also, this kind of overall vision, you know, I have that as a quote of hers, of this idea that being able to reimagine yourself is like freedom and participating on the play and participating on the dialogue groups is a way of reimagining yourself and a way of transforming for the participants of the film. So the hard thing was to condense it uh, because there was so much richness in it. At the time that she handed the film to us on that memorable day, 
certainly one of the most memorable days of my life. She handed us a hard drive, a notebook where she had outlined her idea for organizing the film. And on that hard drive was 70 hours of footage. So how do you deal with the situation like that? I mean, how do you even know where to start? Ellen, can I add what else did she two do? more doc three more documents? Okay. And I have them all next to me here. One that she put together that it's called How the Film is Put Together. The structure itself had to change a little bit as, as it does in editing, but the essence of it is there. And there were also the notes that Ellen and I took of that conversation that luckily we had the thought that we needed to do that because the emotional charge of that meeting was so gigantic that we had to take notes and we had to write it down. What we did multiple times was refer to what I call Bushra-isms. These are sayings that Bushra would have with students primarily when they got in a hard spot. And one of them was one foot in front of the other, step by step. And the other one was, and this is the one that I would come back to, and I am still living with this project, trust the process. This is what she would tell students, trust the process. And those were points we could return to that were very much about her. I just want to say something about the reference you made to a narrative in documentary. Bushra's approach to documentary was that you don't make up the story in advance and then try to find the people to say the things that can help you to tell the story that you already want to tell. Her process was to shoot the footage watch it again and again and again and again and see what stories emerge. That's documentary. Documentary. <laughs> and, you know, film for her was a political act. She was not the kind of filmmaker that was after the great shot or the great line or that great moment. I mean, it was an act of exploration, an act of creating something that would become a tool for conversation. And that was almost more important than the film being a piece of work itself. She always had this idea that it was going to bring people together to create conversation. And as we think about distributing the film, we're, we're dissecting that thought very deeply. What's the best way for the film to be able to do that? One of the things that I often think about, uh, Bushra and I taught together at the film center for 11 years. And the school of film was at, you know, next to the museum, um, across the park blocks. And sometimes we would have lunch and sit on the benches on the park blocks. And then in one occasion, one day, we were sitting on the benches 
you know, talking about film and we shared students and we shared projects. And she said, you know what? Nowadays, the thing that I enjoy the most is watching rushes. I'll explain what rushes are in a second. And I looked at her and I said, yes, I completely share that feeling. Rushes are the whole footage before you edit. I so got that because we were both, and Bushra was, curious about life and about things just happening in front of our eyes, right? Just watching life in people and how things develop in front of our eyes. And that's a moment that I carry with me because when we have to distill, it is hard but we know that we still have the life there and we have to understand what's behind it. Well, you talked about distilling and really one of the most unappreciated roles in filmmaking is that of the editor. You're distilling 70 hours of footage down to an hour or two. And in this case, into a form where, where the viewer never loses the thread. It's a very immersive film. You know, Enya, I don't want to minimize your role in bringing this film to the screen and, you know, what a tightrope it is to make a documentary that does have a strong narrative thread like this one has. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, also, you know, with the collaboration of Bushra and the help of the editors, both Lauren Muller and Cam Williams, who worked with me on it in documentary the story is told in the editing. It's not like you shot a story that had a script and then you transformed the script, which is really hard to actually. But in this case, there is a world out there and you just eat. The process is to distill it and present it in a way that has a thread uh, and has a message. And so, yeah, documentary editors have a gigantic role. So I appreciate that. This man is Pyramus, if you would know. <laughs> this beauteous lady, Thisbe, is certain. This man with lime and rough cast doth present wall, that vile wall which did these lovers sunder. One of the uh, few people from my unit that did come down and watch, he's a agoraphobic. He hadn't left the unit in nine years. Whoa. Um, and I had talked about the play. He'd seen me practicing it and singing my song over and over and decided that he would challenge himself to uh, come down and be support. And so this is how this play ripples out and just affects so many people in little different ways. You're listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Conser, and we're talking today with Ellen Thomas, Enya Weisberg, and Johnny Stallings. They've been hard at work completing the documentary A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison, which was started by experimental filmmaker Bushra Azuz. Well, Bushra Azuz was an experimental filmmaker as well as a documentarian, and you can definitely see the experimental side in 
what's called the B-roll, which is the scenes that are atmospheric, they're, they're background scenes, they're shots of the landscape or archival materials. You know, some of that is, it's very lyrical. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a moment where NEA had the idea of adding that kind of B-roll that you're describing and wondering whether Bushra herself would have done that. And that was a great leap, NEA, that I watched you make as you were negotiating your channeling of Bushra with your own sensibility. And Bushra trusted your sensibility. That's why she asked you to be the editor. Uh, but I remember you bringing a cut to our group with some of that footage in it. And everyone in that group said, yes, she would have done that. Yeah, and I want to bring Lauren Mueller into the room, the first editor, one of the two editors. She started playing with archival uh, stuff and we would go back and forth and eventually... I took over that edit, but yeah, she really started it. Johnny, I'd like to get back to you and let's talk about representation. Um, in Shakespeare's time, both the male and female characters on stage were played by men. The same obviously goes for this play. It's staged in a men's prison. Yeah, that was one of the very fun aspects of it. We could say that our production was authentic because all, all the roles were played by men. And it was a little bit scarier to do Midsummer Night's Dream than to do Hamlet, which we had done two years previously. Hamlet is kind of a prison play. Uh, there's two women in it. Hamlet says Denmark is a prison and it's, uh, it's kind of a dark claustrophobic uh, world. It's in a castle, you know, but uh, Midsummer Night's Dream is outdoors and there's all these lovers and fairies and and uh, and it's it's colorful and 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 it has all these uh, love stories. And so it was exciting to try to do that inside a prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Ellen pointed out a little while ago, that was very liberating for the men who, who live in that confined space. Yeah, I suppose there were awkward moments at first, but uh, it seemed like everybody just participated fully as as the production rolled on. Well, we had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> There's a scene where the character Helena becomes just pathetic and she's begging Demetrius to use her in any way he wants. You know, I'll be your spaniel, you know, and 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 there was a lot of hilarity involved in the the idea of of men dressed up as women and and the guys who are playing the male roles they have to be passionately in love with a guy in a dress you know so it's a lot of fun there's an inmate i guess there's a prison resident named dale who plays yeah. one of the female leads in midsummer night's dream and talking to the camera, talking to you, he talks about his mannerisms, how he's never really presented as masculine, not in the traditional sense. 
Yeah, Sal Dale uh, is a gay man, and and the kind of gay man who's everybody knows he's gay, like within 10 seconds. So subsequently, Sal Dale had a, a gender reassignment and is now Nicole Lee's story and still in prison. But uh, Dale, as we called her then, because that's who she, she was, she said it was easier to play a woman's role than to play a man's role because to play a man's role, she'd have to really like put on these kind of mannerisms that were not her natural mannerisms. Now she was a fascinating character and yeah, watching the interactions between the actors was always fascinating. Just the gestures and expressions and body language. Yeah. I'm glad that Enya got a lot of, laughter into the movie because that was one of the most fun aspects of rehearsing the play it's all the merriment and let me say just another thing about the whole thing and that is the public performances were very special events people from the outside came in and also family members of the actors and after the play there was a total love in with hugs and laughter. And the men talked about how it was the best night of the year for them because the love in the room was palpable. And that is something that's very hard to come by in prison, as is that kind of joy. And I'll tell you one story. Aaron O'Hara, who plays the part of Bottom, didn't have any family members come to see the play. And other people did have family members come. And so for the guys who didn't have family members, it was kind of lonely in one way. But a woman came up to Aaron and said, give me a big hug. And he's kind of like, what? You know, and, and uh, she said, my son has told me all about you. And uh, so uh, Aaron and this woman hugged and uh, he later said <laughs> it was the first hug he had had in eight years. Wow. Johnny, do you have plans to work more with uh, Two Rivers Correctional Institution, do more theater projects? I uh, was there for 13 years. And that was kind of enough prison fun for me. So I, I stopped doing that in 2019. But the prison theater program goes on at Two Rivers. I passed the baton to some younger directors. And currently a lovely guy named Jake Merriman is directing Henry the Fourth Part One. He's out there today. Wow. Well, Enya and uh, Ellen... What's next for both of you and also for the film, A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison? Well, the film still needs us. <laughs> it's going to be on the big screen on Sunday, August 7th, but it's a journey. Now it's about going out into the world. You know, we, we birth a baby and we're going to have the bris, or I don't know exactly what the <laughs> appropriate reference would be, but... Now we have to raise it and 
we're thinking about distribution. We've entered the film in a number of festivals, and we're very hopeful about that. We've got it in a couple of awards programs to see if we can get some recognition for it. We're having a lot of small group conversations about what community screenings that we could promote right here in our own region. Wanting to really hear audience feedback at screenings. But, you know, the trajectory is another easily three to five years about having it out in the world. and. This is an important moment, but it's it's just one in a series of moments. So for our listeners who might be interested in finding out more about The Open Road and A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison, where would they look? The website for the film is a Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison.com. And there's also a Facebook page for A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison. Um, the Open Road's uh, website address is openroadpdx.com or .org, either one. Instagram and, uh, also. It's a, Open Road is a learning community, and uh, it's also the distribution and the finishing of the film is under the aegis of the Open Road. And you do have a local screening coming up. We're excited about it. August 7th at 6 p.m. at Cinema 21. Go to the Cinema 21 website, watch the trailer, and get your tickets. It is the world premiere of the film. We want to thank our friends at Cinema 21 for hosting it. There will be some former prison residents in attendance for a Q&A after the screening. And because this is a gathering around the life and the work of Bushra as well, we'll take a few moments to remember her at that event. And tickets are selling fast. <laughs> We're way more than half sold at this point. So people should not dally. And the film is still fundraising. So any donations are very welcome at the website, Open Road. And that money will go towards distribution so that the film will get out into the big world and go as far as it can and be seen by as many people as possible. Uh, we're very grateful to Ronnie LaCrute, the executive producer of our film, and she made it possible for us to finish the film. There are more than 100 individual donors that have contributed to this film. And I think Bushra would be incredibly excited about that because it really goes back to working at a very grassroots level. It's homegrown from the roots of the community, people who believe that the world can be a better place and film is a way to make that happen. And I expect at the Cinema 21 screening, we'll find out more about Bushra's other films, uh, the, the subjects of indigenous arts, as well as war and pain after the premiere, we've talked about the possibility of organizing a, a miniature Bushra Azuz film festival so that we could screen her other films in celebration of her life as well. This film is long enough that it really needs to occupy the whole screening moment at Cinema 21. She, she made three other films before this one. And Woman Wove It in a Basket, which was her first feature documentary. Uh, about Klickitat basket making. 
No News, which was her personal reflections on 9-11, especially coming from her perspective as an Iraqi-born woman. Women of Cyprus, which followed two different women from two different political spectrums in that part of the world, and then Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison. So stay tuned. Look for the Bushra Azuz Film Festival. All right. Ellen Thomas is the post-production producer for A Midsummer Night's Dream in Prison, a project started by experimental filmmaker Bushra Azuz. Enya Weisbord is the post-production director for the documentary. And Johnny Stallings is an actor and theater director, as well as executive director of the nonprofit organization, The Open Road. Ellen, Enya, Johnny, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us here. It was Thank a pleasure. You. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Words and Pictures. I'm your host, S.W. Conser. Thanks to all our listeners on the radio dial and on the web. You can find an archived version of this show later today at kboo.fm slash wordsandpictures. And be sure to follow us on social media at wordsandpicture.com.